0: Good morning. Those of you guys watching on live stream in your pajamas, we're glad that you're with us. Or maybe you're on a boat in the Gulf, wherever. We're glad that you guys, thanks for worshiping with us. We are in this series called Equip. And just looking at this idea that the mission is multiplication. You know, as we look at the early church, they multiplied. They didn't just add people, they multiplied. It was a mission that started with 12 people, and then it multiplied into over half the Roman world in just a matter of one generation. And the way that that happens is just through people having conversations about Jesus. Jesus. It's just a simple method. We want to be able to do that, right? Because we believe that movements happen when normal, everyday people like me and like you, we take the message and we tell other people in conversations about Jesus or what move the mission forward. Like conversations, when we talk to people, notice it doesn't say presentations about Jesus move the mission forward. That's a little different, because if I were to give you a presentation, that would be some facts. You know, he was born 2,000 years ago. He uh, died. He had a half-brother named James who didn't like him very much. Those kind of things, right? Those would be a presentation. I would give you some facts, but when we have a conversation, it shows you that I care about it. Like, when we have a conversation, I can only have a conversation about things that I know about, right? So if if we wanted to talk about, like, quantum physics, that would be bad. It wouldn't be a conversation for me. I know nothing about it. If we wanted to talk about filling out a March Madness bracket, that would be not a conversation because I obviously know nothing about it, right? I mean, conversations show that we care about something. And when someone knows that you care about something, they will listen. When someone knows that you care, that you have some buy-in, that you know something about it, they will listen. This is how the movement goes forward. It's not about what happens on our stage on every Sunday, but it's about what happens in our homes on Monday. We want to be able to have conversations about Jesus, So, but if we're honest, if we're honest, I think that that we all would agree that that conversations about Jesus sometimes can be a little awkward and hard. Am I right? Anyone ever thought, man, talking about Jesus that can be a little difficult. Anybody? Yeah, like a lot of us. Sometimes it feels like it's a little awkward. Sometimes it feels like maybe Maybe I didn't get into it like I wanted to. You know, I know that from personal experience. I know that from stories. Also, if you look statistically at the, Ameri- the state of the American church, 95% of American Christians have never told someone about Jesus or never had a conversation about Jesus. 95%. That doesn't feel like a, a, a formula for success if the method is to tell other people about Jesus. And so there's some, I think there's some barriers. Like one of the reasons I think we are not great at telling other people about Jesus, sometimes it seems so hard, is that, is that we're not sure how to get into the conversation, right? We, we have this one-size-fits-all mentality about a gospel conversation. We'll maybe read something in the Bible, or maybe we heard somebody say something one time, and we try to use that to get into the gospel. It's like this. Let's say you go to Subway, and uh, you are getting a sandwich, and, and they say, hey, what kind of bread do you want? And you're like, I don't know, but do you know the bread of life? <laughs> like, that's not going to go over very well, is it? Like, it, it, it doesn't fit. Jesus can use that. You can't. It's a little like this. I learned uh, kind of what is evangelism or how to tell people about, about Jesus through a couple of questions. They were one-size-fits-all questions. They tried to capture everybody. And one of those questions was, is you would ask somebody, hey, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Like, that's not a great icebreaker question. Would you agree? Like, do you know something I don't know? Like, what are you talking about? See, we have this one-size-fits-all mentality. And one-size-fits-all just doesn't work. Have you ever bought maybe some clothing that was one-size-fits-all, but it really didn't fit all? It didn't fit you? Like, I bought this hat one time that said one-size-fits-all. And later on in the day, I noticed I had a headache, and the hair on the back of my head was rubbed off. It was so tight. Of course, that could have been my, my latest birthday, too. But, but, but it didn't fit me right. Have you ever bought something like, this should fit, it's one-size-fits-all? But it, but it doesn't really fit. It doesn't even really fit most. It only fits some. Like I've got some pictures of this for you ladies up here. So here's a skirt. This, this model is one size fits all. Now it fits this girl right over here in the corner. But notice this particular girl, like it's too big for her. She's got a lot of gap there. Some of you are like, I wish that were me. Um, what about this girl? She can't even get it zipped up. One size didn't fit all for her. She's struggling with it. This girl's like, whatever. I ain't even trying to put that thing on. These two girls get it up on one leg right? One size doesn't fit all. It's a problem. It's a struggle. And so the same can be said for gospel conversations. Now, when it comes to clothing, one size fits all. There are some things that are better than one size fits all. Like there's the next level is that maybe you order your clothes from like Amazon wardrobe or from Stitch Fix or some one of the companies you can go online, you can map out your style, you can put in your sizes and they'll deliver a box to your house for you to try things on. If any of you, anybody do this delivery system of clothing? Like quite a few of you, actually four. Um, I've I've done this for a little bit. So yesterday I got my Stitch Fix box in. It's like Christmas when it happens. It comes every few months. It's got these clothes and they fit me a lot better. And they're kind of my style because I've told them exactly what I want. We've gone through some trial and error about what works and what doesn't work. But you know what's even better than that? What's next level to that? It's tailor-made clothes. Just something that fits you. You get someone to measure you and that you get someone to figure out your exact style. The places that you go, what works in those places. And you get clothes that are tailor made and they are so comfortable. You just put them on. You enjoy putting them on. They are so natural for you to wear. They just feel like they belong to you. Now, there are some commonalities between one size fits all and tailor made, aren't there? I mean, if you have a shirt, you still have a hole to put your head through and you still have sleeves. They're still made out of material. They're still made out of some type of material. There's some commonalities, but then there's some uniqueness. There's some ways that they fit us perfectly. And this is the same with gospel conversations. There are some common themes that we need to know. There's some common themes that we need to talk about. But we need to understand how the gospel, how the message of Jesus changed us uniquely. And here's why. Because you are unique. And God wants to use your unique story to impact someone else's story. He didn't want you just to give a gospel presentation. He wants you to have a gospel conversation, to talk about what God has done in your life, how he's transformed you. And when you're able to do that, you'll be able to have a conversation with people that will help them understand how their life can be different. It will help them understand how they can have hope. It will help them understand how they can have transformation, and their lives can be different. And when we get to heaven, that that opportunity we'll have for people to thank us We'll look back on our life and be grateful, be grateful that we weren't one of the 95%. That we did the greatest thing we could do is we helped someone know who Jesus was. So today what we want to do is just kind of unpack this. I want to talk about some of the common themes that we all need to know, but then also some ways we can tailor our stories to ourselves. Now the thing about tailoring your stories, that's hard for me to do by definition, right? Right? Like I don't know your story, but what I want to do is be able to give us some help that maybe helps us think differently, think practically about how this could look. So let's start. We're gonna be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a handful of different verses today for us to kind of walk through. And it may be that you hear something that's gonna help you to have a gospel conversation. It may be that you're not really sure that you even follow Jesus, care about Jesus, want to know Jesus. But today, maybe through some of these stories, some of the ways that we can maybe tailor it to your story, maybe a light bulb will go off for you today, and you'll decide that you want to follow Jesus. So Acts chapter 17, now this is written by a guy named Paul, or it's about a guy named Paul. Paul had gone into Athens where they worshipped all sorts of gods. They had so many gods, they even have one that was called an unknown god, just in case they missed one. And so Paul begins to tell him about this unknown God. He's speaking of Jesus. And so as we get to verse 26, Paul, Paul is kind of unpacked a lot about who God is. And he says this about God. He says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live. Okay, So one man, meaning he goes all the way back to creation, to Adam. Adam was the very first person that God created. God created Adam, then he created Eve. And so what Paul is saying is that all of us Oh, our lineage all the way back to Adam. Everybody in here. We all have this common ancestor in Adam. It means we are all cousins. We're all cousins. So listen, if you're married today, turn to your spouse right now and say, you're my cousin. Say that. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. Please don't say that ever. Unless you're from Arkansas. But he made from one man, equal opportunity offender today. Come on. He made from one man every nation Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, Having determined allotted periods. In other words, God determined the time you would be born. God determined that you would be alive at the age you are right now in 2019 on this day. God knew it. Like today is my mother's birthday. She is 79 years old. God knew that she would be 79 years old today in 2019. And God knows you. He's allotted the time for you to be alive. Not only the time, it goes on to say the boundaries of their dwelling place. So he allotted you to be born at this time, but also in this place. That you would live here right now in this area of the country, in this area of the city, in the house that you live in, the neighborhood that you live in. God has allotted all of that. God is the one who's done that. He has put this boundary on you and allotted it to you. And then he goes on to finish up that they should seek God. Right, So here's what this looks like. When it says he created this boundary, here's what it means. is that God has framed up your life in such a way that he's put you in the playing field. And he expects you to play the game. He expects you to encounter certain people in certain situations, in certain circumstances, so that the mission can go forth so that they can know God. So that they can know God. So, so think of it this way just a little bit. So there was a couple of basketball games on yesterday, and so Virginia played Auburn. How many people have Virginia in their bracket, by the way? Had a handful. Come on. I don't believe you, but hey, that's good. So Virginia played Auburn yesterday, and they played on a basketball court. Basketball court. Boundaries. If anything goes outside the boundaries, it's what? Out of bounds. When you step onto the court, you're expected to play the game. So at the end of the game, Auburn's up by two probably a lot more Auburn fans in here than Virginia, just saying. Auburn's up by two, and there is a foul with .6 seconds left to go. Auburn fouls Virginia. And this particular guy has to go to the free throw line. He gets three free throws. And if he makes them all, they win. If he makes them all, they get to go to the national championship game. If he makes them all, they potentially win the national championship. So there's a timeout call, and he goes over to the sideline. Now imagine that he walks out onto the court. He walks out into the boundaries that you, where you play the game. He walks out and he says, They hold the ball to give him for the, to shoot the free throws, and he's like, I'm good. I'm finished. I don't, I don't feel like shooting today. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not interested. What happens? Game's over. The game's over. Nobody walks onto the court not expecting to play the game. And so God. He has set the boundaries where we live. He has set the people that we'll encounter. And he's expecting us to help them to know God within the boundaries that, that have been set for us. In your neighborhood, the people that you encounter. At work, on your kids' ball teams, uh, at your Alta Tennis League, at the golf course. God is going to help us to know people. He's going to help us experience people. And he wants us to be able to just have a natural, normal conversation about who he is and how they can have life. Our boundaries, God has tailor-made our lives for certain people. Like if you're here today and you're struggling with alcoholism, I, I could help you a little bit. I could talk to you about Jesus, but I know some recovering alcoholics that could help you a lot. Someone who's been through that, someone whose story is that. Some of you may be going, in, maybe you're in the middle of a divorce. Now, I could talk to you a little bit about that. I've, my parents were divorced, but I've never been divorced personally. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that pain is like, but I know some people who've been divorced, who've gone through that, who God has done a miraculous work in their life. They, they could help you. Some of you are introverts. I have no idea how to talk to you about Jesus. But I know some introverts that can. I know some that can help you and talk to you about, it. and you, your story is intended to impact somebody else. God has orchestrated it. You are, your boundaries have been set. You are on the field. Don't, don't, don't avoid the game, right? Don't avoid this. So, one of, the, one of the statements that we have that we all need to know, one of the common statements that we have is, is this one There is a God and He is good. There is a God. And he is good. Like the gospel starts with God. Like that may seem logical to people, but most of the time we start with us, don't we? Like I wanna tell you about me, but the gospel always starts with God. There is a God, meaning he's in charge, meaning he's created, meaning he is number one, he's the top of the food chain, he is good. Like we have to hang on to this. People don't always believe that God is good. And you have to know that God is good. And because God is a good God, he creates good things. Because God is a good God, he creates good things. This is what he's about. And he has never failed. Right? He has never told a lie. He's never lost his keys. He's never not shown up. He's never forgotten an appointment. He's always strong enough to help. He never leaves us or forsakes us. There is a God. He is good. And God wants more good for me than I actually want for myself. God is more for my good than even I can be. Have you ever done something you knew you shouldn't have done? Like, man, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. It's probably called dessert last night. I know that's a small one. But there's some things that are small, some things that are bigger. You know, and you know it's going to be bad for you. You know it may hurt you, but you still, for whatever reason, do it anyway. And God is more for our good than we are. And here's the truth. If God is for my good, then I can, I can trust him. Listen, if God is good, he's for my good. Here's what it means for me on a daily level, on a practical level, is that I can trust God. I can trust him. Watch what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 3. He says, Trust in the Lord. With all of your heart, not part of it, but with all of it, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Because God is good, I can trust Him in everything. I just think about this: if I can't, if I saw you in the lobby and say we know each other, and I'm like, hey, I just ate at this restaurant. You got to go, like you have got to go, and you've got to go today at lunch. Can you make it? You probably would be like, yeah. Because I trust you. I know that you have good taste in restaurants, and I know you wouldn't send me to one of those ones that has five dollar signs. Yeah, I'll go. Maybe if I told you about a great book, I'm like, you should read this book. You trust me, you would read this book. Because God has good for us. We can trust Him. His ways are what is best for us. So so, so here's how this looks because God is good. Some of you anybody go to the beach over spring break? Anybody? Handful of people, right? So while you're at the beach, as you see things that are good, you can know they came from God. Like when I stand on the beach, one of my favorite places to go, and I look out over the ocean and maybe over the blue waters of the Gulf, standing in the white sands of 30A, come on, right? And it is good. I know that that is from God. But when I have a, a day where I get good things and things go my way, I know that is from God. So I just tell people that. When I experience something good, maybe I'm talking to somebody about my vacation. I'm like, man, I was down at 38. I love going there. I can't believe God made stuff that's that beautiful. Like that was pretty easy, wasn't it? It's really easy to get into just to talk about the good things that God has for you because he's good. I can talk about the good things and just relate them to him. Now now here's what it means, another way to look at what trusting means. Trusting just means that I turn towards God no matter the situation. It says, I trust God by turning towards him in all things. So no matter what comes my way, I turn towards God, not away from him. I trust him in all things. Now, now we trust one of three things, all of us in the room. Number one, you may trust fate. You may trust that life's just going to turn out how it's going to turn out. Nobody's really in charge of it. Fate's just the way it's going to happen. And what that does is leave you with a high level of stress, doesn't it? Like, you got nowhere to place your hope or to place your trust, basically. We trust fate. Or we may trust ourselves. And humans, have you noticed, are notoriously unreliable to be trusted. Like, we can mess up anything. Like, you've done some things today, like, nobody should ever trust me f- ever. Like, how do, they, how do we actually trust first-time parents to take a baby home? Like, who's thinking of that? But, so we, we, we don't want to trust ourselves, so we trust God. That's our third option. We trust God. So we turn towards God in every situation. So when there's a difficulty in my life and other people are around me and they see it going down, I'm having a conversation with them about that. I'm like, hey, you know what? This is not good. I don't want to pretend that it is, but here's what I know. God is good, and I trust him. And I just want you, I just want you to watch and see what he does like if you go through maybe a health scare or a job loss or financial downturn, in those moments when you have opportunity to tell people, rather than a pity party and playing a violin, you say, you know what, this is not good. But I can turn, I'm turning my attention and I'm trusting God because I know that he is good and he has good things for me. Now, if God has good things for me and I tailor my, my story, I tailor my talk, my conversation about Jesus around his good thing, there, there's something we have to acknowledge is that there is a problem, right? Like things don't always go the way they should. As we look around what's on the surface, there are some things that seem to be bad in the world. And they don't just seem to be. They are bad in the world. And so the second big statement, the second thing that we all need to understand that we all have in common is this thing about sin. There is a problem, and the problem is that we have sinned. It doesn't say there's a problem, there is sin. It's not ambiguous. It's not nebulous. It is personal. We, me, you, we have sinned. This is the problem. The problem that there is sin in the world. And here's what, let me just explain a little bit about how, what sin is. So how many parents in the room real quick? So we got, so a lot of you guys are parents. You understand this. If you have children, what you have is you have some parameters at home. You have some rules. You have some laws. You have some commands. If you don't, if you don't, you, you, you're a disaster, um, but you know you have some rules. And so what happens is you set up some rules, and the reason why you have them is so that your children don't hurt themselves. Hey, one of ours was don't run with sharp objects in your hand, namely a pocket knife or scissors. Like, don't do that because you don't run very well, and you'll fall hurt yourself. One, hey, don't touch the stove. Don't, don't stay up. Pass curfew. Don't stay that we have certain rules. And the reason why we have those is so that our kids, my parents had them, your parents had them. And the reason why is so that we don't hurt ourselves because it's what's best. And if we follow the parameters, we can do whatever we want. Man, we can run all over the house as long as we're not running with scissors. We can do anything. We can have freedom and we can have life and we can have fun. But as soon as we do something that's gonna hurt us, there's a consequence. Now now one of the big rules at our house was you always tell the truth. Like some of you parents know this. Do not lie. Now, if you lie, it's going to be bad. Like you may be getting in trouble for what you did, but, but if you lie about it, man, it's going to be worse. If you tell the truth about it, it won't be as bad. You're still going to get in trouble, but it won't be as bad. And here, here's the thing about sin. When we punish our kids, it's not because they broke the law. But it's because they broke our trust that we had something good for them. And our heart is for them to have good. And yet they didn't believe us. And so it broke our heart. And and you parents understand sometimes when kids do things, maybe you said this and your parents said this, it hurts me more than it hurts you. Anybody's parents say that? I'd never believed it and I still don't. Um, (laughs) But you know what they meant. Like there's something emotionally that breaks my heart. So here's the thing about sin. Here's the definition of sin. Sin breaks God's heart because it breaks God's commands. That's what sin is. It breaks God's heart because it breaks God's commands. He's not so caught up in the command that you broke the law, you didn't follow the rules. He's caught up in that he knew what was good for us, and yet we didn't follow what we didn't believe him. we didn't trust him. And so there's sin that happens in the world. And so now we have all the chaos that we experience in life because life doesn't operate the way it's supposed to. In Romans 6:23, here's the real problem with sin. Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death. Okay. It's not it's not the fact that sin makes us bad people or immoral or breaks some laws. It's the fact the wages of sin is death. What I get paid for is death. When I, when I go to work and get home, what's directly deposited into my account is death. My salary is death. This is the problem with sin. It brings death. Now, what we see from the first one who sinned, Adam, the one I was talking about a minute ago, the first person, he faced Physical death and spiritual death. So there's spiritual death that we're separated from God because God is the life source. And when we sin against him, we're separated from him because sin always brings separation. Sin brings separation between people, between families, between friends, and it brings separation from God. And because God is God, he's the life source. We're separated from God. We earn death. That's what our work gets us. We get death. And that, that's a pretty heavy price to pay for sin. That's a pretty significant punishment for sin. So what I need to do, what I need to do on a personal, tactical, practical level is I need to change my mind about sin, right? I need to change my mind about sin. There's this word in the Bible called repent. Anybody ever heard the word repent? So repent. Repent just means to change your mind. A lot of times we think it just means I need to be sorry for the things i am done, but it means I change how I think. I repent by changing my mind. I change my mind about me and about God. So I change my mind about who I am, what I've done, the reality is I've sinned. I, I, change, I acknowledge that. I, I recognize that I admit that, I confess that, that I've sinned, and that God is not the problem, that God is good. It was not God's fault. He didn't set me up to fail. It was my fault. So I changed my mind about me and I changed my mind about God. Now now here's where this leads me when I change my mind about God. I realize that I need God. So if I'm in conversation, any conversation, I just talk about my need for God. You know, if I if I'm talking about a job and I'm about to take a job, not me, but you guys, like you're thinking about taking a job, right? Like I, I need I need God's influence in my life. I, I'm gonna need to talk to God about this. I'm gonna need to understand what Jesus has to say about this. I always look and understand what God says about the steps that I make. When I think about my finances, it always causes me to recognize that that I have this capacity to get it wrong. I have this capacity, but I also have been given this dignity to ask God what he wants so I can just talk about about how I learn from God, how I live with humility, that if something goes wrong in my life, I'm like, or if, or if I do something wrong, I'm like, yeah, I do things wrong. I don't have to worry about it, right? I don't have to think about it. I just need to admit it. I don't have to pretend that I got it all together because I, I sin. You sin, I sin. Like, we probably, you probably sinned this morning, didn't you? Like when y'all get getting in the car together and you were out in the driveway honking the horn, and your spouse wasn't coming, you're like, hurry up, you're always making me late. Wasn't that probably some sin in there? That feels like it may be too little, too real for some of you guys right now. Like, that's heavy duty. Like, we all sin. We experience it. So I'll repent. I changed my mind. Third point that we have is there is hope. His name is Jesus. There is hope. His name is Jesus. Now, notice this. He's got a name. He's a historical figure that lived, that died, was resurrected, He's not just the ambiguous man upstairs. It's not just the force in the universe. He's got a name. His name is Jesus. There's hope. There's hope. And his name is Jesus. You know, we also see this in Romans 6.23. Here's what God brought us in Romans. If the wages of sin is death, the gift, free gift, is eternal life. The free gift that we have. I don't earn it, I don't deserve it, I don't work for it. I get this free gift. Jesus died for my sins. The fact is I couldn't pay the penalty other than just dying myself and having an eternal death. So Jesus took my sin on himself and he paid the penalty for every single one of them. He took my guilt. He took my shame. He took my sin and it's gone. It's canceled. It can't whisper to me any longer what kind of person I am because he's given me his life. This is who Jesus is. We have his life. You know, Jesus gave his life so I could have life. Jesus gave his life so that I could have life. This is the promise. Now, what I love about this is it shows how solution-oriented God is. Like, you know, he could have looked down and says, okay, you guys screwed it up once. Like, good luck. Wouldn't want to be you, see you kind of thing. I hope you guys don't mess up again. He could have just kind of left, but he had a solution. Now, Now, there's another solution he could have come up with, and that solution would have been what we would call religion. It could have been this code that we live by. He could have said, follow these rules and do more good things than bad, and then you'll be okay. Like, that's a lot of pressure. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who's Muslim, and somehow angels came up. And so I'm like, well, cool. Tell me what the Quran says about angels. And so that was an easy way to get into a conversation, right? And he says, well, in, in Islam, on, on the left shoulder is an angel who counts all your bad deeds, everything You do that's bad. And I said, man, your left shoulder, Angel, must be really busy, bro. Um, He counts all the bad dudes. He counts all the bad deeds, right? On the right shoulder counts all the good ones. And then at the end of your life, they weigh them out. And And even then, you're not insured of getting into heaven. Even if your good outweighs your bad. And I said, man, that feels like a lot of pressure. Like, how do you live with that uncertainty? He's like, I just... Try to continue to do good things. And I said, do you know that Jesus, uh, what we understand about Jesus' life, that he took away all our bad things. Like everything that we've done wrong, he took them away. So I really don't have to worry about outweighing them with my good things. So it was just an easy way to have a conversation. He says, yeah, I know that about you. And we kept right on (laughs) talking. But that's an easy way. But also that's a lot of pressure. And the thing about having Jesus is we, we don't have to earn it. You don't have to try so hard. And so when, I, when people, we're in natural conversations with people and we're talking about our spiritual growth and our spiritual life and they look at our behavior and they're like, well, you don't do these things right and you don't do these things like church people. And you don't. It's like, it's not about the things that I do. Man, it's, not about, it's not about me having to earn my way to heaven. I don't feel that pressure or that anxiety. It helps me to live a life where I'm not, I don't feel like I'm competing with other people for approval, that I'm just, I'm just relying on the grace of God because I don't have to earn my way into heaven. I'm different. I'm different. Now, the last statement we have is there's a response to this. If Jesus gave his life, there's a response surrender my life. There's a response, I have to respond. I surrender my life. Now, surrender is a little bit, of a, a little bit of, a, of, a, of a church term, a little bit of a Bible term. We don't necessarily talk about surrender very often. Anytime we talk about it, a lot of times it has negative connotations. But we give our life to Jesus. One way that he frames this up is in uh, the book of Matthew when he's calling a few of his disciples. And he says this in Matthew. He says, he was, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew. They were were fishing, casting a net in the sea, and they were fishermen. He said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So they followed him. Now, to tailor our story, we just need to follow Jesus. To understand what he wants for us, just follow him and talk about what that looks like for us to live that out. One of the ways that we frame it up is like, who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? Like if Jesus were working a job, he had you know, worked from the ground up, had excelled in his company, Like what would he do if you follow him? That's what that looks like. An interesting connotation of this word is it just means to pick. It means to pick sides. Have you ever picked sides for something? Like you picked one side against another side? So this last weekend, I was visiting my son in Dallas. And uh, he, unfortunately, the poor guy's an Atlanta sports fan. And so you go into his apartment. He's got, every, he's got jerseys for all of the Atlanta sports teams hanging in his den. He's a bachelor. So hanging in his living space. And so you know immediately what side he's on. So uh, about a month ago, he's in Dallas, Texas. So they played the, Ma- the Hawks played the Mavericks. So Ethan gets his Hawks regalia on, jersey, everything out. I think he had knee socks on with shorts. I think it was pretty obnoxious. And so he goes down to the airlines arena there where the Mavericks play. And, of course, the Mavericks aren't very good either, so there's not a lot of people there. But, of course, he's the only one in Hawks regalia. Everybody knows who he is, so much so that Dominique Wilkins, who was doing the broadcast on TV, walks over to talk to him because there was no other friendly faces in the crowd it was obvious he picked sides, and what it means to follow Jesus is that I pick Jesus every time, all the time, no matter what, no matter how I'm treated, no matter how, no matter what circumstances may happen in my life, I pick Jesus. So when I'm talking to people about life, they'll understand. What, like when I. I pick Jesus when it comes to how I talk about others, when I pick Jesus when it comes to how I love other people, when I pick Jesus when it comes to how I manage my money, when I talk about my finances, I talk about how much I give because Jesus was generous. When I, when I have relationships with people, I try to love people well and talk about why I love them. It's because Jesus loved me first. And so I just had this natural conversation because every step I just picked Jesus. What would Jesus think? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? It informs how I would, it informs how I would have a conversation about Jesus to somebody. Like my, my wife is really good at this. So we were having um, a conversation with someone we had just met, and they were in all this chaos, all this stress about uh, the, let's just say, the political landscape of our country. And so finally my wife just turns to her and says, you know, I know that all those are problems. And I know that none of that seems perfect. But at the end of the day, my hope is not in a president. My hope is in Jesus. And I was like, way to go, Debbie. (laughs) But we just have this perspective that we just share what, what God's done in our heart and in our life. And we tailor it to have a conversation about what God's done so that someone else, someone else can understand what God could do in their life. I just want to close out quickly with something that we train uh, people who've gone through Equip to do, and that's to share your story. And the way that we kind of help people kind of get a snapshot of their story so that they can know how to weave it in and out of conversations is first of all, is like, what was the turn? What happened? What was your life like before Jesus? And then you have this idea of some type of. there was a tension there, sorry, that was the tension of what was your life before Jesus. And there was a turn. There's something that happened when you began to follow Jesus. And then there's this transformation. What did it look like on the other side? And so for me, I grew up, if I had one word to describe how I grew up, it would just be anxiety, uh, worry. I can remember when I was 10, I went to the doctor because my stomach hurt. And I was sitting on the examining table and the doctor comes in and my feet are just, going back and forth, right? I'm just wiggling them as fast as possible. And the doctor says, what is that about? I'm like, I don't know, man. You're the doctor. Aren't you going to tell me what this is about? And he he realized and told my mom immediately, like, my stomach problem was not a stomach problem. It was an anxiety problem. I was just nervous. Um, I felt very insecure, which drove my anxiety. So this followed me through high school and college. And then when uh, when when Debbie and I got married, we bought our first house. And um, most, a lot of my anxiety was around finances at the time because of how I grew up. And so I can remember going to closing uh, to buy our first home and trying, trying my best to write that down payment check and having to rewrite it three times because I just couldn't get it right. I was so anxious about writing it. And so I go, and after I write the check, um, we get our keys and we go. And at that point, I'm like, what have I just done? I go, we go to the house, the house is empty. Uh, Because we haven't moved any. We're going to clean the house before we move our stuff in. And while I'm in the house, Debbie runs to Walmart to buy some things to clean the house. And I literally lay in the floor of the kitchen, doubled over, thinking I've just ruined our financial future all the way through retirement. I was so anxious and just lived with this anxiety. Now, this anxiety drove me to perform. I just always wanted to show that I fit in. I didn't want to feel insecure. I wanted everybody to think I had it together. I always wanted to be number one. So I had a corporate job at the time, and I would go to work, and I was always the first one there because I wanted everybody else to see that I was the first one there they would think I was really important. They really should have thought I couldn't get enough work done during the regular eight hours. But I just wanted to put on this front that I was was an achiever. I was an up-and-comer. I was going to make it happen. So I just began to live this life of drivenness, of performance. And then I had this experience when I was just alone one day, and I just, through my restlessness, it caused me to finally say, God, what is going on? Like, what do you want from me? What is it I need to be doing? And so in this moment I had with just me and the Lord, nobody was there. It was just me and the Lord. There was this image in the Bible that we see of what end time looks like. And there's people on the, the right side of Jesus kind of at the end time. And they're, they're imagined to be sheep. And there's people on the left side, and they're imagined to be goats. And the people on the sheep, they are good with God. People on the left who are the goats, they are not. And so just kind of in my own, my own just thought process, I'm like, God, which, which side am I on? Like, you're over there. You're on the left side. You, my friend, are a goat because you're not letting me do anything. You're trying to earn it. You're trying to achieve it. But that's not what I've given you. That's not the hope you have. And in that moment, I trusted Christ. In that moment, I stopped trying to earn it, and I recognized the forgiveness that I had. I recognized the life that he came to give me as a free gift. And then as I moved through that, one of the things that I believe characterized me is just an identity. I know that my identity is not in my job. I know it's not in me progressing. I know it's not in me being successful. I know it's not in our church being the biggest church or the greatest church, even though we are the greatest church. It's not in my church. Like, that's not where my, my identity comes because God has, has loved me and cared for me and given me an identity and created me uniquely. And I had. And I have that to fall back on. That that is where my true identity lies. And when you wake up with that kind, of, that kind of identity, it doesn't mean I don't still struggle with insecurity. It doesn't mean I don't wake up some days like, what is happening? It doesn't mean if a financial challenge comes my way, I don't just immediately start sweating and think, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I have no rich parents to call and help me out. What am I going to do? It doesn't mean that all of it immediately is gone, but it does mean that I now turn towards him and I believe what he says and the work that he's done and the hope that I do have in Christ. And like, that's my... Five-minute story. And I can make that go 30 minutes or I can make it go two hours or probably even two weeks. And you need to know what that is for you. You need to think through that. You need to be able to talk naturally and honestly about what God has done in your life. You need to be able to just express how your story is tailor-made to impact somebody else. Listen, somebody's in your neighborhood. And right now, God's stirring their heart. They're open. There's somebody that you work with and right now God's stirring their heart and God wants to orchestrate your life so you could just have a natural conversation about what he has done for you. Don't, listen, listen closely. If you don't hear anything else I say, if you follow Jesus, don't be one of the 95%. Don't do it. It will be the greatest regret that you'll die with don't be that. You have an opportunity right now and the boundaries God has marked out for you to just tell what God has done in your life. You are tailor-made. Your life, your story is tailor-made to impact somebody else. Let's pray together. So, God, the greatest dignity we have is to be able to move the mission forward. It's just to tell people, just to have a conversation. Natural, water cooler, lunchtime, mall, car rides, conversation. Lord, we just talk about how good you are and the good things that you've brought us, God. We're just grateful. We just live with grateful hearts because of your deep love for us. God, that we just are able to Talk about difficult circumstances, knowing that while they're difficult, that we trust that you have good things that will come out of them, Lord. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be a people of the 95%. God, I pray you would just make it really obvious to us. Um, sometimes we need more than a, a subtle reminder, God, we need a really obvious opening. So I pray that we get that today. God, I pray that we'd have a thousand of these conversations in the next 10 weeks as we all go through equip, as we learn what it means to impact the world and to move this mission forward. But God, I pray that it happens in our own neighborhoods, right across the street, right down the hallway. And God, I just pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.